Oh, yes. Pale blood. <laughs> well, you've come to the right place. Yarnum is the home of blood ministration. You need only unravel its mystery. But where's an outsider like yourself to begin? Easy, with a bit of yarn and blood of your own. But first, you'll need a contract. Welcome to a new episode of the Cartridge Club Prime Podcast, where we discuss our game of the month with members of the Cartridge Club community. If you've played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org or in our community's Discord or across social media using the hashtag PlayAlongWithPrime. I'm Church, and I'll be one of your hosts for this episode of CC Prime. And joining me to talk about our February 2020 game of the month of Bloodborne is Ben Rowland. Hey, gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And then we also have Dispose Hero. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. And Discart. Hey, yo, glad to be here. Thanks for joining. Before we jump into the discussion, let's go into the breakdown. Bloodborne is an action role-playing game developed by From Software and published by Sony Computer Entertainment for the PlayStation 4 in March of 2015. Bloodborne follows the player's character, a hunter, through the decrepit, gothic, Victorian-era-inspired city of Yarnum, whose inhabitants have been afflicted by an abnormal Bloodborne disease. Ultimately attempting to find the source of the plague, the player's character unravels the city's intriguing mysteries while fighting beasts. So... I would be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on what exactly is Bloodborne. It is a challenging but incredibly rewarding game at the end of the day. Um, and it's also one, I'll say, that kind of forced me to be a different kind of gamer than I'm used to being. And, you know, it also was kind of my Hail Mary when it came to From Software because I used to suck so bad at those games and I used to rage quit so often. And the game itself kind of, it grew on me and it got to the point where, you know, it, it became one of my favorite games. If you were to ask me what my top five favorite games are now, Bloodborne would easily be in there. Nice. How about you, Disposed Hero? What 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 would you say? What is Bloodborne? Um, for me, what comes to mind is that it's an evolution of the Dark Souls formula. And I guess you have to be familiar with Dark Souls to understand that reference. But for me, Bloodborne is it's very similar in a lot of ways, but it's more fast paced, and uh, a lot of the mechanics and aspects of the game are streamlined. And uh, just kind of to echo what Ben said, it's uh, very challenging, forces you to change the way you play action games because you can't go into it with uh, the same mindset you might you might have with uh, a less challenging game. Totally. Yeah, really enjoyed it. How about you, Descartes? I'd say it's uh, just on a like on a style level, like a Lovecraftian horror centric, really dark world. uh with interesting NPCs that are super spooky. When I first began this game, it was so spooky to me. But uh, echoing what the other guys said, just how fast-paced it can be, just dodging around so quickly and uh, you know avoiding attacks just really changes the formula up from, say, like Dark Souls 3 or something like that. It's just a different type of, souls style game and that's why you know we we call them like soulsborne games now because it mm -hmm. was so important that we had to tag it on to the souls name because of 
just them just changing it up completely, but still such an artfully done world uh, that you, you fall in love with it really quickly, as long as you can maintain a hold on the controls and uh, abilities. Yeah. Well said. I was kind of thinking about this going through my head on how I would describe bloodborne to maybe somebody who's never even heard of any of the, the from software games. And I, I think it's a challenging one because it's infamous for its difficulty, but at the same time, I think to some extent from software games, difficulty is overstated where a lot of it's mm. the, the, the learning curve, like learning how to control the game, play the game, being a little bit more, uh, methodical like you can't just kind of go at it willy totally. nilly and it, in 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 many ways it's truly like the 3d version of a metroidvania you know you got you got certain routes that you can go until you unlock shortcuts or uh, uh items that will allow access to different areas and so on just like side-scrolling metroidvania games I could, I mean, I, I love that. I love hearing that from, from other people that uh, these games, you know, everyone says, you know, it's, it's so hard. It's so difficult. These souls games, I can't get into them because it's just a hard game when really it's just a, it's a, it's a different mindset. It's a puzzle that you have to solve instead of going in there and thinking this is a really hard enemy. You have to think about their weakness and what weapons you're bringing to the table and and seeing that the full range of attacks from an enemy is really important. You know, there's so much to these puzzles. It's just, uh, it's not just, it's difficult. You yes. know, it could be, it could seem difficult if you go in there expecting it to be Bayonetta or Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. uh, but on its own, it's a puzzle game. And like, you know, y your representation of it is really good as well. I, I love it when somebody puts it in their own way of thinking because, um, like I look at it like it's a puzzle game and other people like looking at it like a Metroidvania or, or mm. something like that. It's really interesting because it's all kind of the same thing. We all kind of look at these games in that same way where it's, it's not just, you know, an action game or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the, the difficulty itself. I mean, I know that's kind of become the, the punchline for these types of games, but what I would say it's hard, but it's not unfair and it's never cheap because, you know, some games, they have the difficulty at such a high level and your margin of error is so low. I find with these games, you have a good chance to get through whatever obstacle you're trying to overcome. It's just you have to adapt to the play style mm -hmm. and it's a game you're going to succeed if you play by certain rules. And that's kind of what I mentioned, what I meant when I said it forced me to kind of adjust my play style because I'm used to going in, you know, sword swinging, slashing everything in the room and being done with it. You, that's the quickest way to death in this game you're not going to get far you really got to kind of plan your strategy you got to kind of have patience i think if you're not a patient kind of gamer that's when you would struggle with these kind of games but if you take the time to learn it and to just kind of let the mysteries of the game envelop you i think then you'll really be on the right path yeah i think i think that's very well stated i think um anybody who hasn't played a dark souls game and is kind of intimidated by the reputation of these games i think bloodborne is the more accessible Mm -hmm. of of all these types of games um because of, of its more fast-paced uh gameplay and personally i found it to be a little easier than dark souls 
but that just might just be me. Uh, I did as well. And I think one of the big reasons too is that the number of weapons, and we'll get into that in a bit, just kind of with the weapons and all the different options, but it's a lot more streamlined than Dark Souls. Because in Dark Souls, you get hundreds of weapons. There's the weight of your equipment and armor and outfits, and it's a lot to it's a lot to unpack. I think with Bloodborne, it just gets you into the action quickly, and you're not so worried about the typical RPG tropes that you had to kind of focus on with the Dark Souls games. So yeah, I, I agree 100 percent I think it's way more accessible, and I think the style will also appeal to some more than others yeah i mean and lately with games like you know fallen order and code vein coming out i think there's even a bigger window for access for more people from the outside to kind of get that taste for the uh soulsborne style games you know like code vein you can you can go in there and you can hit a lot more than you can in like a Bloodborne or a Dark Souls, but still it'll punish you after a while for doing that. Mm-hmm. And and it's definitely a lot easier, I would say, than a Bloodborne or a Dark Souls. And then Fallen Order is even a little bit easier than than those ones. It works you up to some harder fights down the line where it's not as clean. Those games are not, you know, definitely not as clean or clear as, as FromSoft games or anything like that, or as just pristine in general. Mm-hmm. But they're really good entry points. We're, we're getting to a point where people have access, I think. Yeah, and it's created a whole new genre when you think about it, too. Like, we call it a Souls-like now. I mean, there's games like Neo, there's games like uh, The Surge, which I actually mm-hmm. found way, way more difficult than Dark Souls or Bloodborne. But again, it's kind of birthed this whole new genre where just, you know, these kind of tropes, like the difficulty, the permadeath, or the potential for permadeath, it, that becomes part of the appeal, which I think is great. There's so many more options now. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's definitely a blossoming genre at this point, and it'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see if within a few years, if it gets like its own like defined name. Beside, I mean, Soulsborne is kind of where everybody's going with, but it'd be interesting to see uh, if it gets its own genre name eventually, like Metroidvania, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And I know, I know, a lot of people aren't uh, a fan of that term, but yeah. When you say it, what it means exactly, you know what's you know what's being talked about when somebody yeah. says Metroidvania. Good, all signed and sealed. Now let's begin the transfusion. Oh, don't you worry. Whatever happens, you may think it all a mere bad dream. <laughs> so i would be curious to what all all of your experiences are with bloodborne if you've played it in the past if you've played uh dark souls games or other souls like games uh so kind of of what what what's your background with bloodborne going into this playthrough we'll start with a disposed hero yeah so i actually first tried to play bloodborne few years ago i think it was back in 2015 and i uh, wasn't really acclimated to this style of game at the time um uh, i guess the the more methodical pace i'm not sure what it was but i just couldn't get into it so i kind of wrote it off wrote off all the souls light games it wasn't until a couple years ago that i played through dark souls and actually really got into it and uh i knew after i played that and how much i enjoyed it um i would want to circle back around the bloodborne at some point so um, when it came up as a cartridge club game of the month, I knew I had to get in on it. So went into it with high expectations and the game did not disappoint. I uh, really enjoyed it this time just immediately. Uh, I was 
got all the um, things that turned me off about it before. I was, uh, I think Dark Souls really prepared me for it. Um, yeah, I mean, really enjoyed it this time. Awesome. Discart, what's your experience? Well, in general, with, with like Soulsborne games, my history is starts off with buying Dark Souls 3 because I watched somebody playing it on YouTube or something and I was stoked to try it. And almost within within like two and a half days, bringing it right back to GameStop and <laughs> selling it and just being done with it forever. And then I watched um, a there's some content creators called Easy Allies and mm, uh, yeah. a guy mm -hmm. called Bloodworth over there decided to do a full playthrough of Dark Souls 3. And as I watched Blood play Dark Souls 3, it completely clicked. Everything I needed to know, I, I finally understood. It's it's all about how you're going after these bosses and solving these puzzles and figuring out how you're going to progress, regardless of how you do it. You just want to get through this game. And so that that's the mindset I had. I went back to that game stop. I got the game for a much cheaper. I saved some money. I mean, you know, that's good. Uh, got it home and began playing it. I got through that boss that, I had been stuck at that first boss was so hard for me before, but I beat it in like three or four tries. The second time I tried it um, after purchasing it again and was so amazed at how much I love this game. And then after that, it was all good. The rest of dark souls three was fantastic. I beat that game. Um, and then almost immediately after beating that, I went and started playing bloodborne, um, I have not completed Bloodborne. I have definitely watched the endings of Bloodborne and, you know, most of the end. But um, I, I've started playing it before at, at my house. And then I moved, uh, I had to go to California for some family stuff. And so I just sat on my sister's PS4 playing it. And I played about 75% of the game at that time on my sister's PS4. And then I had to leave that state and, and come back here. And I've never really had the heart to get back into it and go completely all in again. Um, because I had just done so much in that game that I was so proud of. Now I just play a little bit every time I go back to California and do that. But uh, I definitely love Bloodborne. It's fantastic and beautiful. I'd say I like Dark Souls 3 a little bit more just because that style kind of appeals to me a little bit more. And then when it comes to Soulsborne games, I played Code Vein as well and uh, Fallen Order recently. Um, I even uh, uh, There's even a couple other games out there that kind of fit that, uh, that fold. But I really love the genre and I love that, that dopamine that you get after defeating a boss and really being successful in and uh, and being very tactical with those those fights. Excellent, Ben. I, I know you got quite the background with Bloodborne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my history with From Software it's very much kind of along the lines of what Discard just said. Um, I got. To with the best of intentions and i figured okay i'm gonna give this the old college try you know do my best um and i just walked away from it each time i think uh, you know i love the style i love the world 
but I think I was a different kind of gamer at that time. I didn't really have the patience, you know, and the game, it doesn't hold your hand. Like the progression path is not always clear. So I found myself just getting stuck, getting frustrated. You know, there'd be a boss that would just, I get my ass handed to me every single time. And I just walked away from it. Um, and then when Dark Souls 2 came out, again, gave it a try, best of intentions, it didn't gel. Um, flash forward to 2015, um, I was actually out of work for a period of time and it was a bit of a difficult period and my wife bought me a PS4 for Christmas and one of the first games I got was Bloodborne because at the time I was hosting a podcast with a friend and he was all gushing about Bloodborne and he said it's one of the best games you'll ever play and I figured okay give it a shot I got nothing but time. Um, and very similar to my earlier experiences, I struggled, but then, you know, that, that dopamine kind of kicks in, you know, I took the time, I kind of planned my approach to the game and adjusted my approach accordingly. Um, and then with each boss I'd defeat, I'd get more confident, I would get more sucked into the game. And then I found myself just becoming obsessed with it. You know, when I wasn't playing the game, I'd be reading the wiki or watching videos. That's how I discovered uh, Vatividia. You know, yeah. he's kind of he, kind of like the Lord Almighty of uh, Souls games on YouTube. Absolutely. But, you know, again, his walkthroughs are very helpful. Um, his story videos kind of help flesh it all together. And I became like a huge fan of the game. And I think that was the point for me when it clicked, when I finally said, okay, these games they're not the beast that I thought they were. It's just, I need to have the patience and also the wherewithal just to kind of adjust my strategy. So what I did was I went back um, at the time, Dark Souls 3 was coming out. I played that and I beat it. Um, you know, obviously not without difficulty, but I found myself enjoying it a lot more, you know, taking the approach more seriously with the weapons and the different armor and, you know, trying different classes just to see what worked. Um, I also discovered the fun of co-op, which made things a lot easier. And one thing I would say to people who are hesitant to get into these games, consider the co-op as a way to kind of help mm -hmm. you get over those difficult hurdles, because that's what helped me uh, in Bloodborne. Um, and then, yeah, I just I played through it several times, got the platinum trophy. And, you know, I kind of have subsequently gone back to the original Dark Souls because there was a remaster uh, released last year. And I loved it. Um, it. Everything just suddenly clicked. You know, the areas where I struggled, I suddenly was getting better at it. And I felt more compelled to keep going. And, you know, I did watch a couple walkthrough videos. Uh, Fighting Cowboy did a full 100 percent. Uh, walkthrough on YouTube, and I was just hooked. So I think I've become a firm fan of the series, and the games that I once hated have now become some of my favorites. And I'm not alone in that. I know other people who've also kind of had that Hail Mary moment where it just kind of clicks with them, and then the obsession begins. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, uh, I, my backstory is pretty much just that. My first experience with any From Software game was... Dark Souls when they first ported it to the PC on Steam. And if anybody knows about the origins of Dark Souls on PC, it was very, very rough. Essentially, there was no controller support and keyboard and mouse is dang near impossible <laughs> for Dark oh Souls. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> so I, I probably gave it like a solid hour just trying to get through the very beginning, like just a little area where you run through the sewers, kind of like jail, and I quit. I was like, I can't play this. So I gave it up completely. Uh, then actually, it was around the time when I first started doing YouTube in 2015, uh, a friend had just picked up Bloodborne and suggested that maybe we do like a little Let's Play or something so I could just get some content up on my channel. So I was like, yeah, sure, bring it over. So he brought it over, and we just played there's like a few different video clips I did. I think there were like 10, 15 minutes each, uh, basically of the character creation, uh, going through the, the very beginning, uh, of bloodborne, 
inside the clinic, you know, dying to the to the werewolf and then going outside and uh, getting murdered by the the big dude with the axe. And I was like, okay, that was cool. Didn't really hook me at the time. So I never bothered picking up the game or revisiting it. And then um, just so many people, so many of my friends, as I was getting more and more involved with like the YouTube community, were just all about the From Software games. And when Dark Souls 3 came out, I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out, see how things go. And I, you know, sat down, gave it a solid go. Took me a while to figure out the gameplay because it, as you guys mentioned, it's, it's, there's an adjustment. Like you have to kind of play things a little bit differently than what you're used to in video games. And I ended up loving Dark Souls 3. And it's been consistent since then. So it's, I played Dark Souls 3. Two years ago, I played Bloodborne. Didn't do like platinum or anything, but just played the main story. And then I played Dark Souls Remaster. Now, if it's a From Software game, I'm a day one person. And these games are like, they're like crack to me. I, mm-hmm. Once I start playing them, like that's all I want to do. It just mm-hmm. the dopamine that you get, the the reward from overcoming the challenges is just like, it, it's hard to explain. And there's not really many other games that give me that sort of feeling the 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 reward that i get unlocking the next shortcut or beating the next boss uh so yeah so this was my second time playing bloodborne yeah i pretty much went all out this time got the other endings did some chalice dungeons and whatnot and we'll kind of touch on some of that a little bit later if i could add one more thing yeah to- one thing that that's really cool about the from software games at least in my experience and uh like especially lately with uh sekiro is is like by the end of those games it's it, these are like the only games where i feel like i truly am the character by the end like i have complete control over everything my character does and and i'm like i'm just in the game at this point um, like, um, you know, in Sekiro, like the sword fights in there are so amazing. Uh, but you have to be just one with the controls and the character. And it just feels that's just something from software does so well. You know, the controls are, are pristine. The, the, uh, hit boxes are great. I mean, there, there's some exceptions to those rules, but they did a really good job with their combat and everything. But it's just interesting that the, by the end of every game, I'm I'm so invested in all of that stuff that I just like am that character. Yeah, absolutely, and that that's a great great segue into uh, talking about the gameplay. Like from software, uh, these games wouldn't be as good as they were if it wasn't for just how refined and solid the gameplay is. Controls, uh, how they structure everything, it's just. Spot on. Bloodborne kind of takes things a little bit differently than the Dark Souls games. A lot of shared aspects, but uh, as you guys had mentioned, it's a little bit more fast-paced. Dark Souls was very, a little bit more methodical. Uh, You could rely on a shield. Rolling was like a make or break sometimes, depending on your character builds, where those elements are significantly less important in Bloodborne. The trade-off is instead of things like shield or really relying on your roll, which you still need to roll in Bloodboard, uh, parrying is a massive mechanic for this game. And it can make your life a lot easier or it can make your life a lot more difficult depending on how well you get the parry system down. 
I guess maybe we should explain what the parry system is. When you guys want to jump on that? Yeah, I can jump in on that. So the parry system is a combat mechanic where you basically have to deflect a hit. Um, In Dark Souls, obviously, it's your shield. So you can, you know, as soon as an enemy hit is about to strike you, you time it perfectly where you do a shield bash, and then it knocks the enemy back, and then it opens them for a stab. In Bloodborne, it's a little bit different because there aren't really any shields. I mean, there's one, but I think it was put in there as a joke. It's not really (laughs) effective by any stretch of the imagination. But in Bloodborne, it's different because you have guns. Um, obviously, you have pistols, you have blunderbusses, you have a selection of Victorian, almost steampunkish kind of guns. And the thing is, you use those. They don't really do much damage. But what they do, they basically will knock the enemy back if they're about to hit you. And then you could do what can only be described as a visceral attack. So it's called a repost, and that just rips their guts out and takes a huge amount of damage off, which, as you said, Church, it can make your life a lot easier um, if you pull it off, because, you know, an enemy that might take 10 hits will now take only two, if you get the timing right. The thing is, though, if you miss the timing, then you open yourself up to basically getting slaughtered. So it's one of the hard... It's it's a it's an easy-to-understand-but-difficult-to-master mechanic, um, and it's been a constant through a lot of the Souls games. Um, and again, I'm not very good at it, but I found with Bloodborne, I was better able to time the, the pairing window, and that made the combat a lot easier, especially with some bosses. Yeah, yeah, well said. Personally, I struggled. Uh, the first time I played through Bloodborne, I could not get parrying down at all. I tried and I tried, and I just learned how to play the game without doing that. With my second playthrough now, I felt a little bit more better equipped as I was experienced with the game. I played it on New Game Plus, so I was kind of beefed up. I had extra health, extra stamina, so I felt like I could kind of mess around a little bit more, especially early on in the game. And I found with most standard enemies, I was able to get parrying down pretty well, but I was never able to get it down with bosses. Like I'd see people that would summon being able to parry bosses, but I could, I'd never, never was able to do that. How about you, Disposed Hero? Did you get the parrying system down? Um, I think I did all right with it. It, it kind of depends on the individual enemy and their attack patterns. You really have to get a feel for their wind-ups and the, the timing of it. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very cool risk versus reward system, and it's really satisfying when you get it right. <laughs> yeah. Those visceral attacks are brutal. A lot of times your standard enemies, that's like a one-shot, unless they're the bigger guys, and usually mm-hmm. then it's like a significant chunk. Uh, how about you, Discart? Well, I think they're cool to watch because that's the only time I'm seeing them happen is <laughs> yeah. when I'm watching somebody else play the game and they're able to hit that window perfectly. Man, I tried, uh, but quickly I abandoned it uh, and just I was dodge rolling like that was pretty much my strategy for most of the game is just just dodge rolling out of the way, getting behind people, hitting them and dodging attacks and and doing that. But it seems like there's a uh, quite the advantage for parrying in the game. And then uh, also it just looks really cool with all that blood spraying everywhere. And it's just awesome. I yeah. never get tired of it. Yeah, it's great. And it, well, yeah, it's, it's hard. Great. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> Much like everything else in the game. Yeah. In rolling, I, I'm very thankful that you can still roll pretty effectively. I, I could be wrong about this, but it doesn't seem or maybe I just didn't experiment enough. It doesn't seem like there's much like advantage or disadvantage with using the different armor. Like your roll's pretty consistent 
where like Dark Souls, you would have the 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 quick roll, and then people call it the fat roll, yeah. which is like a lot slower. Very based around like if you, people who get really technical talking about like iframes and all that stuff, which I never was able to really wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. But rolling was pretty much my go-to defense. Bloodborne definitely has a lot of iframes. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> like for when you're when you're like dodging out of the way, I definitely remember utilizing that quite a bit. It's just as a little no hit period. Yeah. Some, I, I, some, some of the bosses, especially like I remember in the chalice dungeons, there were some pretty tough bosses and the iframe saved me almost every time. Yeah, for sure. If you could get that down, then you can pretty much avoid, you know, most attacks, but you'd have to be perfect with it, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you got to kind of know what you're doing with the rolling. Uh, and you just, you, you get the feel as you play the game. Uh, it's definitely something that improves and for me I, I initially i just threw a lot lots of points into stamina so it would give me more rolls so i would just roll and roll and roll until i finally got to a place where I, either i could attack yes or figure out what i was going to do next so then we got our defense our parries and our rolling i think bloodborne has an interesting approach with weapons where dark souls really from the get-go all sorts of different weapons, different fighting styles. Bloodborne kind of approaches it a little bit differently, especially uh, if you're just looking at the base game itself. A lot less weapons once you start getting into like the old Hunter's DLC and then like further in the game. There's other weapons you can get with like the Hunter badges and whatnot. What did you guys think of the weapons? Like, did you have a certain go-to? Did you try different things? What are your thoughts on weapons? I personally loved it. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I think Bloodborne grew on me the way it did. Because, you know, you get that one weapon and you have to learn it inside and out. Because each weapon has a trick mode. You know, there's different approaches you can take. And by the end of the game, you feel very attached to that one weapon. Um, it's not like Dark Souls where, you know, you're co- you're constantly cycling in and out when you find a weapon that has better stats or better abilities. Uh, you know, and I also found, too, that, you know, throughout my first playthrough, I was just going for the beefy boy approach with the Kirk Hammer. Like, that was my weapon of choice. <laughs> you know, just pound the crap out of whatever moved um i found through subsequent playthroughs there was a lot of other great weapons the whirly gig saw or as i call it the pizza cutter that you got in the <laughs> dlc that became one of my absolute favorites because again it's an it has serration on it which is very effective against some bosses but it's also learning those little things with your weapons you know what when to use them how to use them you really feel more connected to it nothing really feels like it's you know superfluous or a throwaway you know everything kind of has a purpose and it's fun to experiment because every weapon feels unique and some of them are very inventive too i mean the what is it the blood letter <laughs> that thing is just mm-hmm. gruesome but i love it yeah it allows people to kind of pick their style in in many ways and yeah i think it's worth homing in on the 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 trick weapon part that you mentioned that every weapon has basically uh like two different modes depending on the weapon like the the hunter axe could be a one-handed axe or you could do the trick mode and then all of a sudden now you got a two-handed axe that has ridiculous range uh the kirk hammer was a sword that turns into a big big hammer and some of the weapons give, give you a lot of versatility with that Mm-hmm. And it's also how you use them in battle too, because sometimes if you if you adjust your weapon or put it into its second form when you're in the middle of a move, sometimes that can actually take off a lot of damage, and that becomes a very viable approach to certain bosses or certain tough enemies. So again, it's learning those little nuances that really gets you in yeah. the mood with your weapons. It can feel really cool too to be switching from like a long range weapon to a short range weapon, and just like a swipe, just feels really really awesome. And I. I 
I could be wrong, but I don't remember having uh, any melee style weapon in a like a Dark Souls, or at least in Dark Souls Three, which is is pretty much the only Dark Souls that I've played um, that would like adapt like that. They would just click over and become something totally different. I right. think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Dispose Hero, did you have what what weapon did you stick through with most of the game, or did you try different weapons? So what'd you go with? I mostly stuck to the same few weapons. I started with a saw cleaver mm-hmm. and used that for probably half the game. I liked it. Uh, I tried the um, the hunter's axe as well, but I preferred the saw cleaver's um, speed and lower stamina cost compared to the hunter's axe. But then once I was able to get the Ludwig Holy Blade, I yeah. stuck to that for most of the game. That's a beast. Yeah. I also got the Holy Moonlight Sword from the DLC, and it's kind of similar to the Ludwig Blade, but... Uh, it has its differences, but I kind of swap between back and forth between those two for like the latter half of the game. Awesome. Uh, Discard, uh, did you say what weapon you used? Sorry, I saw cleaver for sure. Uh, you know, once I got attached, once I get attached to like a weapon, I usually stick with it and invest in that. And then if other stuff comes, I'll, I'll give it a little tryout, but most of the time I stick with what I have. And I just liked switching between, um, you know, extending that out or having it be more of a close range weapon. Sure. Sure. It's kind of, I, I don't exactly remember what I did during my first playthrough. I'm, I know I, I went with the, the hunter's ax at first and then eventually I stuck with the Kirk hammer for quite a while as since I didn't really have the, the parrying down, I was just trying to go for like heavy damage. Uh, and then eventually once going into like the DLC and whatnot, I, I got the, Ludwig's uh, Holy Sword as well and pretty much I stuck with that with the rest of my playthrough the first time and almost the entirety well really the entirety of, of this playthrough that's what I used the, the entire game I just I love that weapon so much if I need you know the quickness I can go to the, the, the one handed mode but I sticking with that two handed combo that you can pull off with with kind of like the, the charge attack and then transition into the huge downward slam where you could just like floor the enemies. Super rewarding. I love that thing. Uh, do any of you guys use any of those arcane weapons? There was a couple. The Chikagi, I think, was one of them. Um, or was that Blood Tinge? That, that was more Blood, t- blood Tinge, yeah. Blood tinge. I don't know if anybody went for like a heavy arcane build or, or not. I didn't. I, I I, I find generally in these games, I, I usually just stick with high armor, high damage. I've never had luck with with uh, using like magic or magic weapons, even in like the Dark Souls games, which I, I kind of feel like I'm missing out in some regard because when I summon people or like sometimes like maybe invade or I get invaded, like seeing some people with like the magic builds, like they can they can crush some stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's those people with the dark magic in uh, Dark Souls One. They would just kick my butt every time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did try to experiment a little bit with my second playthrough. I every once in a while, just for funsies, I'd switch off with the Burial Blade, which is the weapon that you get after uh, beating the the end boss uh, the first time. Then you can buy it at the shop and whatnot and then i also tried the whirly gig a little bit as i heard a lot of people were saying that it's kind of like great for large enemies you can just like melt through them by yeah. i think just using the kind of the you hold the r2 and it just like grinds but i didn't really have much success with that so i i didn't use it much i tried it but i i felt like i was just doing something wrong 
Yeah, it's, it's situational. I mean, I remember when I was in the Chalice Dungeons, there was uh, the Amygdala in the Cursed One, which your health is at half, and yeah. one <laughs> one shot's going to kill you. That that's, that grind feature actually was very effective on that, but in other cases, it's not. So I guess it really depends on who you're fighting and kind of what your situation is. Sure, sure. And I, I do think it's pretty interesting that they really, especially the, your first playthrough, they really kind of limit your weapons for quite a while uh unless you like like i said start doing getting the the hunter badges with kind of like some of the side quests or going into the the old hunters dlc when all of a sudden now there's tons of weapons i think it's an interesting approach and what are you guys thoughts on armor i i kind of got the impression uh that it was kind of arbitrary the armors didn't really help too much with anything besides maybe resistances it's definitely not something i i really ever thought about so I don't think it was it, it never made or break me, that's for sure. Not like in Dark Souls where where I was just always looking for, you know, the best possible thing I could get without uh doing fat rolls everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no encumbrance system, so really it doesn't make a difference. And you're right, the resistances are really where the differences shine, but even then, that's situational. I mean, if you're fighting a fire boss, uh, like Lawrence in the DLC, I mean, some higher fire resistance would be beneficial, but, you know, it's not always. I, I found myself, I'd only change up my armor when I wanted new fashion. Like, it wasn't, yeah. really, a, it wasn't really a consideration. Definitely not to the extent it was in Dark Souls. Yeah, uh, people refer to it as fashion souls, which I think uh, Dark Souls three really kind of made that made that a thing, and I kind of felt that true with this one. I was, eventually, I just kind of went with what I thought looked cool rather than what mm-hmm. was functional. Was there like a certain armor set that you stuck with, or did you just kind of switch it off as you played through? Disposed hero. What what did you do with with armor? Anything partic- particular? I think for most of the game, I probably used the. I think it might have been the old hunter's garb or something. It's something you find very early. I use that for most of the game. And then I think in Kanehurst, you find like executioners. Yes. And I, I use that. I just thought that looked cool. And I thought the stats were pretty good, even though, like you guys said, there's not really like any specific armor that's like really great. They're all kind of the same, except with some minor differences. Some have better fire resistance and you know whatnot. But yeah, I, I use that executioner's garb and I just thought it looked cool. Yeah, that's I, I used Executioner's Garb. I think I had the Executioner's Garb for the armor, and then like I, I forget exactly what the name is. It's like the church, the white church set. I use the like the skirt uh and the uh, the hood. So it's just kind of like this bulky, like holy looking person just going around crushing everything with my massive two-handed sword. That's a good look for sure. Yeah, <laughs> for, for me, I picked uh, the bone ash armor. I think I got that in the Chalice Dungeons. That was really good. And then also the Graveguard set, which you find in the forest. Uh, that's a good set as well. Again, they just look cool. I don't really think it gave me an advantage, but mm-hmm. again, the fashion element. I mean, you got to switch it up once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you discard any uh, particular armors you went with? You know, like the hunter stuff that you get really early on. I can't remember exactly what the name of it was, but. If, as I find stuff, I just put it on. So, you know, I, I'm just constantly changing. And when it comes to fashion, I didn't really care so much. It was more <laughs> like, I found a thing, you know, and then you put it on and you're good to go. But I sure. uh, didn't really think about it too much outside of that. Yeah, the only other switch up I did is I put on the noble dress whenever I did co-op. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. look your best, right? Yeah, yeah. right. 
I will say that if I was fighting a boss that I was having trouble with and it did a lot of like arcane attacks, I would maybe try to use armor that had higher arcane resistance or something like that. But that's pretty much pretty much the only type of uh specking I tried to do with armor. Yeah, there was there was a couple times. I can't remember exactly now, but I know there was a couple times where I got hung up and I was like, I need to do something to try to like help me a little bit. Actually, I think it was the first time I re-encountered the uh, Winter Lanterns again, which I absolutely, I hate those Ooh. things so much. Dang Winter Lanterns. Those are the, uh, I don't even really know how to describe them. It's like a woman and they have the big like eyeball brain looking head and they sing. And as soon as they see you, they start building the frenzy stas ailment, which once the frenzy builds up, then it does 80% damage. And generally, you're screwed unless you kill them immediately. Bane of my existence. (laughs) I hate those things so much. But I I, I guess since you mentioned the the, uh, co-op aspect, I think that's something definitely worth talking about. Is I hear and I see oftentimes a lot of people aren't really taking advantage of the the co-op system. And again, the game doesn't do a great job of like, really like explaining or encouraging like they do the initial introduction like i forget what point in the game where they give you the the beckoning bell and the small resonant bell and the sinister resonant bell but much like the dark souls games at pretty much any point during the level until you beat the boss you can ring this bell and if there's other people that have rang their their like helper bell they can be summoned into your game help you through the levels help you with bosses and i think it it really helps a lot for me anyways like i i always as much as i could i always summoned uh did you guys make use of that did you did you summon oh yeah you bet you bet i mean i'd get to some bosses and after doing you know 10 15 tries on one or something i'd I'd get somebody in there and, and give it a try uh, and hope that, you know, I end up with a, a good person. Um, sometimes I would just ring it randomly in places and see if, if I would get lucky and get somebody to join my game. Uh, I had a friend who, when I was doing this, this new playthrough, he, he joined into my game and we ran around. It's amazing how well it works. Like I, I never had any issues with it and it's just fun to run around that world with, with another human being. It definitely is different than if, you're playing it by yourself. It feels, it feels different, uh, but it's still really good. And um, like people were saying earlier, it makes it accessible for people who, you know, are afraid of, you know, getting their butt kicked all the time. It can help to have that other body in there. Yeah, it definitely mitigates the difficulty. And I find, you know, there's that cabal of fans out there who are like, you know, you shouldn't summon, you need to get good, as they say. Um, I disagree. I think, you know what, that's what really helped me kind of get the grips with the game because I got the beckoning bell just before Father Gascoigne. And that usually for a lot of players, that's kind of the make it or break it because he's the first really tough boss. Um, he could be, he could be the first one you encounter, or it could be the cleric beast, one of the two. But I remember I was struggling with that. And then I realized, okay, I have this beckoning bell. I rang it and two people came in and just helped me, you know, lay waste to the father. So, 
you know, it, it, it definitely kind of opened my eyes to the fact that co-op can be a good thing. And it's a lot better implemented than Dark Souls, where you have to look on the ground for summon signs. You know, you're just mm -hmm. ringing a bell. If someone's in that general area and they've also rang the small resonant bell, it will connect you, you know, provided there's certain matchmaking requirements that you meet. But one other thing I'll mention, too, is that co-op was really good for practicing. Um, I would go into other people's games just to practice on a boss I was struggling with just to see, okay, what am I missing in my playthrough? Because there's really no consequence if you die in co-op. You don't lose any blood echoes. You don't lose any progress. You just go back to where you were. So I use that a lot for practicing. Um, and then later on, as I got better, I would just, sometimes I wouldn't even just play the game. I would just ring the bell and let people summon me in and help them with bosses. Also a good opportunity to be using the emotes and stuff. You know? Yes. At, when at, well, I mean, you could do them on your own, but they're just way less fun. Got to give the bow, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to have etiquette. Somebody joins your game, you got to give a bow or some sort of gesture. Uh, Dispose Hero, did you take advantage of the, the co-op system? No, I actually didn't uh, Didn't summon anybody into my game. I, I took every opportunity I could to summon an NPC in for some of the difficult boss fights. And you know their help was invaluable a lot of times just for holding some of the aggro and taking some of the heat off of you. But uh, yeah, I never actually summoned any other players in. And I, I, I believe, and I might be mistaken, but I think isn't the, the all the NPCs aren't they part of the the old hunters DLC? Some of uh, them are, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Some are. I don't think they all are because I don't okay. think I had the DLC, and I definitely had NPCs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, um, you, I know you can summon Alfred in one fight, and you see him in the uh, the main core game. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you can summon Father Gascoigne in the beginning before the before you fight him, obviously. And yes. he can also be you can use him in the cleric beast fight. Yeah, so it, it's a pretty neat system. The only I think the biggest drag about it is that you have to have PS plus for the online functionality to be able to summon other players. But yeah, fortunately there are various instances throughout the game where you can summon NPCs. Uh me, I have no qualms about it. It's a tough game. I understand that. I, I'm proud of the achievements that I'm able to make in the From Software games. But personally, I find it a lot more enjoyable when I'm playing with other people, even if like the communication is limited to emotes or just spinning around in circles, whatnot. I, I, every chance I got, as soon as I got in an area, I'd ring my bell. Maybe people would join. Maybe they wouldn't. I found early in the game, it was really easy to get people to join you during the levels. And not so much like in the mid game or in, especially in the side off areas, like, like the nightmare frontier or the, um, the upper cathedral ward. Like I couldn't get anybody mm -hmm. in the levels, but almost always with boss fights. Although the, again, there are certain boss fights, especially the side off bosses. Like I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just gonna have to bite the bullet and do this myself. And I, I it's kind of neat with the, um, the, the summoning system too, there's a risk reward with that, just like in the Dark Souls games, where if you ring a bell, uh, you can be invaded by a hostile player. Did you guys experience much, much with that? Hostile players coming into your games? Yep, definitely had hostile players come in. Don't like that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the worst time, right? Yep. It's like, oh, well, now I'm going to think a little bit before I start using these bells, you know? 
Yeah, I, I got evaded a couple times, but it wasn't very frequent. The reason being is I'd always hunt down the bell maiden and killer, so that would silence the sinister bell. Um, because again, nothing's worse than having someone overpowered come into your game and just slaughter you, especially when it takes you a long time to get someone like a co-op partner to come in. Yeah, some areas it takes longer than others. Um, but I found the invasions were nowhere near as bad as Dark Souls. Yeah, Dark um, Souls was a lot more frequent. I got ganked so many times in Dark Souls. I think, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think maybe a couple of times I got invaded in Bloodborne and it was fairly manageable. There are some areas that are known as hotspots because they have a bell maiden there who will summon in hostile invaders. Uh, there's two areas where that's just there by default. All the other times it's going to happen when you ring the bell and you get a co op partner. So, like you said, it's a risk versus reward, but typically I'm right outside the boss room. So I just send them packing if someone invades. Yeah. Not. I'm not like bragging by any means, but even with the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne, I find like at a certain point, usually like uh, maybe less than halfway through the game, like once I finally like like I'm in the zone, like I got I can control my character well, I got you know my my weapon figured out. I just get to a point where unless somebody is like ridiculously overpowered, some weird gank build, like I could just crush people, especially with that the Lud- Ludwig's Holy Sword. Like that mm. thing would just stun people and I would dominate and then take them out and you can do your little like emote taunt, you know, point. Get out of here. <laughs> or just More dust opportunities. Your hand- <laughs> just dust, dust your hands off and be done with them. Yeah. 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 And what I found interesting with, with that is this time, the first time I played through Bloodborne, I, I, I didn't bother with the Chalice Dungeons at all. I didn't really think there was much importance to them not and there's not a ton of importance with the chalice dungeons to the main story in some regards there actually is if you're if you're into the item descriptions and like some of the deeper lore that you really have to like look forward to uh but this time i decided to run through the chalice dungeons because i was trying to get the platinum achievement and it requires a couple very specific things and I was very surprised with with those as I was able to like summon like two people almost constantly like with minimal wait time. So I really feel like a lot of people uh once they play the game they just kind of like continuously grind the chalice dungeons I guess. And, and the, the chalice dungeons don't aren't restricted to level at all. So they're just they they are what they are and anybody can join basically. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy the Chalice Dungeons? I did. Uh, once I kind of had, I guess, like a, a mission, sort of say, like mm-hmm. I, I was really determined to get through them. Like there's a couple weapons you have to get. And then like the, there's a, sort of like an end boss. Uh, I had a lot of fun running through them, uh, especially with the fact that I was getting multiple people joining, like pretty much every Chalice mm-hmm. Dungeon I was doing. I, I did enjoy them. I, I don't, foresee myself grinding through the games that's mostly just how i play games usually i play a game to completion and then i move on to the next game i don't mm-hmm. like stick with them too much yeah they were they were good for what they are i mean i found them to be a bit of a grind especially as you get to the deeper depths because you got to farm for resources you got to get all the chalice uh, ritual items uh but the big benefit of the chalice dungeons we didn't really touch upon it with the weapons but you can infuse them with blood gems to make them stronger so you can you have any number of gems uh each weapon has slots that you can put gems into to make them stronger to give them attributes the best ones are found in the chalice dungeons so i think anyone who's looking to really beef up their weapons that's where you want to be yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I guess it's worth explaining what the Chalice Dungeons are. 
I, I'm not great at describing these. They're basically like essentially like bonus dungeons you can do that you have to get a couple materials and you can craft like essentially like a like a level one dungeon and then you go through that there's a couple boss fights uh per level and then once you beat that you get another chalice which can make like a second level dungeon and so on and so forth eventually you can get to uh there is kind of like an end but then there's it's basically you can just kind of like repeat them and grind and you can make ones that have like restrictions like half health or uh, I think there was some other other um, aspects to them. I'm not sure if I'm missing anything on those. No, you got it right. And and the thing is, too, is that each type of dungeon, like the cursed ones, or I think there was the abyssal ones as well, they give you different types of gems. So there is a benefit to kind of going through each one. But the cursed one, that's probably the biggest barrier to the platinum trophy because you're at half health. <laughs> and honestly, there are some enemies, especially the amygdala boss, that yes. will just, they'll, they'll one-shot you. I struggled with that one. D- did you guys play through the chalice dungeons this time? At all? I definitely didn't play all the way through. I do like having them there. Uh, like if I get to a boss and I'm really struggling, just having like another another place to go explore is really cool. Like I'll take a I'll take a breather from from doing whatever it is I'm doing, and then just go a totally different direction and explore for a while, and you know gather some resources and stuff. And I liked having those there to do that kind of thing. Just something different, something to freshen things up. Sure, sure. Uh, Dispose here. Did, did you, if I remember, did you go for platinum this time? I did. I actually got unlocked the platinum yesterday. Um, nice. So, um, well done. I um, I wasn't going to do the Chalice Dungeons. I uh, I think I did the first one just to see what it was. And then uh, I looked through the trophy list and I didn't see anything explicitly saying, you know, trophies for Chalice Dungeon. So I didn't think you had to do all that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it was later that I found out that one of the boss trophies is a boss that you fight and after you go through like seven chalice dungeons. So I was stubborn and decided I had to do it. So I <laughs> did it. and uh, yeah, that that was easily the um, the most uh, difficulty I had with the game. Like some of those bosses, like especially in the defiled, and I think like the uh, what is it like the 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 is palace or something where you have to fight mm-hmm. like Eurydice again or something. Mm, yeah, um, I had trouble with some of those bosses, like far more than any other bosses in the game. And um, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really dislike doing the chalices, but it, it's, um, I think it's by far the weakest content in the game. Um, you know, I think it's cool that they're there. I think it's really more for like players who um, finish all the main content and then just want more, but you know, which is fine. But um, you know, it was it was the biggest grind for getting the platinum. Yeah, for sure. I, Definitely agree. I, I will say it was pretty interesting, and I was very surprised on how much unique content was in the Chalice Dungeons. Like the areas themselves are like entirely unique to the Chalice Dungeons. Tons of enemies. Uh, like they put a lot of work into into this these this dungeon system, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, there were some cool enemies that yeah I didn't I don't remember seeing in the main game. Uh, like yeah, there, there's some unique ones for sure. I, mean, I just remember the troll that rolls towards you naked. That one just yes. up every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing sucked. Uh, so, uh, so how about the the old hunters DLC? Did you guys play through that this time, or have you played through it before? Well, I mean, if you got the plat, no, you don't need that for the platinum. Actually, that has its own achievements. Did you guys play through the the old hunters DLC? I have not. 
played through about half of it. Um, I'm at the Living Failures boss fight. I think it's just I got burnt out on the game, so I decided to put it down. But mm-hmm. my goal is to eventually go back and finish the old Hunters. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just looking ahead to that Orphan of Cause fight just with severe <laughs> dread. Yeah, I, I did the DLC. I will say I heard a lot of scary things about that Orphan of Cause fight. Got him on the first try. Oh, wow, wow. nice. I think if you can get through a lot of those Chalice fights, you shouldn't have too much trouble with that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't play through the Old Hunters DLC this time, but I did play it through it the first time I played through the game, and I found it to be extremely more challenging than the base game itself. Like, I really, really struggled to get through it, but um, The Orphan of Chaos, I, I think it was the third try I did, but again, I was summoning people the entire time. That, uh, that fishing hamlet area, I had a Yes! <laughs> that is the absolute worst. Uh, there was a weapon that is in the fishing hamlet, which is one of the last areas in the Old Hunters DLC. Uh, it's You go down this well, and there's these two giant, I think they're called sharks, even mm-hmm. though they're like big humanoid-looking fish creatures, and you have to kill two of them, and I I just, I could not, I could not kill two of them. I could take out one and the other one would just destroy me. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I <laughs> took me a few tries. That's the Rakuyo. That's the weapon you get. And that, that's the one lady Maria was using in the yes. tower. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I want two swords. That'd be sweet. Nope. Couldn't so do it. I had a lot more trouble with that lady Maria fight than I did with the orphan of cause. Yes. Same, same. She was tough. She was tough. But for me, I think my biggest struggles in the old hunters DLC was uh, the, the the hunters themselves. Mm-hmm. Like for people listening who might not know, like even in the base game, just randomly throughout certain areas, there's going to be other hunters uh, like you that will just, you know, come running up on you. They're, they're super aggressive and they're all over the place in the old hunters DLC. And they're, they're pretty tough. Yeah, and they, they come at you fast too. So, and and that is the first part of the DLC that you see. So you realize, okay, you're in for a tough ride. But uh, they're very easy to parry, and that again, that's where parrying comes into play. As long as you can get that timing down, yeah. that area becomes a little bit easier. But it's still, I like yourself. I struggled just because it seems like they ramped up the number of enemies in a given area, and also the corridors are tighter, so you have less margin of error. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, so we kind of briefly touched on it before, but I wanted to just talk a little bit about the like general design of the game when it comes to like the general aesthetics and the level layouts, especially the level layouts, which is, I think, what really makes uh, From Software games shine besides the tight gameplay is their masterful level design. What do you guys think about the general design of this game? It's really good. It is really good. I love. I I, I really like the the layout of everything. Uh, uh, getting like your, I uh, forget what you call them, but like the the secret doors that bring you back, so that you can uh, have an easier route to wherever you're going. The shortcuts. And your shortcuts are good. You know, I I don't know. I I feel like moving around was really good. I I can't remember having a like a really long backtrack. I'm sure there was one at, at the very least, but most of the time everything seemed to be in a good spot. Whereas in like dark souls three, I definitely remember having certain places where I had to like backtrack for long distances and really did not like certain parts of that. Mm-hmm. This is pretty good lay- layout. And I mean, overall, like just the art design is really creepy and, and awesome. Like we said earlier and having like, 
you know, people in windows talking to you and uh, just really creepy stuff everywhere is awesome. Yeah, it feels like a world that's like on the brink of decay. And I love that kind of aesthetic. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get Bloodborne was because I love the whole Gothic Victorian, you know, Lovecraftian kind of aesthetic that the game has. Um, but the level design was probably where I had my first, you know, wow, this is cool moment because I was in the forest and then I found this elevator and I'm like, okay, well, where does this go? And then it takes me right back to the first lantern. So I'm like, you know, you really, you really get a feel for the verticality of these levels. And I think that was also one of the strengths in Dark Souls because everything feels interconnected. It's less so in Bloodborne because you're kind of going in and out of the Hunter's Dream and you're kind of warping to different areas. But a lot of it is interconnected. And oftentimes if you see a lantern, that's the only one. You know, you have to find a shortcut so you can make a run back to the boss or just to run through the area quicker. Um, so, yeah, you're very right. I mean, there was less backtracking and less kind of you know, wandering around, wondering where you are. I mean, everything had a purpose and just the design, it was so cohesive and just so well implemented. And, you know, I never felt that the design of the game or the levels was unfair or, you know, I was like a babe in the woods. I didn't know where I was going. I never had that feeling. Yeah, it is always a great feeling. Like you're going through this level, you know, sometimes it might take you half an hour, sometimes an hour. And you're like, you're you're almost out of out of blood vials. You're you're, you're uh, you know limping along, and then yeah, you'll come across an elevator, and you'll be like, all right, I'm gonna take this elevator, see where it goes, and then yeah, it brings you right to your lantern, and all oh. of a sudden, if you die, you know you can basically get exactly back to where you were with like so good, so oh. good. That's got to be the second level of like dopamine you can get from the game, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you, you have the bosses. You beat a boss. It's probably the, the highest you can you can possibly get, and then number two. Is just opening that door (laughs) (laughs) for sure for sure uh what are your thoughts uh disposed hero yeah i pretty much just agree with what you guys said it's uh really enjoyed the the overall layouts of the areas the the branching paths there's a lot to explore opening up the shortcuts is always very satisfying i do feel like the um a lot of the environments or or the world itself is a little bit more linear than in dark souls whereas i think in dark souls there's more interconnectivity between individual areas I kind of prefer that about Dark Souls. I think it's the only thing I prefer about Dark Souls to Bloodborne is uh, that the world feels a little more cohesive. Mm-hmm. But I really don't have any complaints about Bloodborne. Uh, that being said, I mean, I, I think everything was really well done. Yeah, yeah. And the I think aesthetically the biggest separating factor from previous uh, from software games is that like Lovecrafty and kind of the, the celestial horror elements. Everything's very bizarre looking uh, i think it was a, a pretty wild moment in the game when all of a sudden you're you know just going about your business you beat a boss you return to an area and there's this massive creature just like stuck to the side of a building mm-hmm. and it's like what the heck i, I love that element it, it, it's pretty pretty wild stuff and it ties in great with with the story uh which i think is the next part i would like to touch on is kind of how you guys felt about the story or the presentation of the story or maybe even the lack of story because it really depends on how much you delve into the game because it's very superficial. Uh, they don't really give you a lot to go on. You, you do incorporate uh, encounter characters who will say things, but really to get the 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 very details of the story, like what happened, what's going on, who is this person? Why are they here? Like really is involved in reading item descriptions, 
which generally I, I don't do right. myself. Mm-hmm. What are your guys' thoughts on, on the story? Like the first time you played through before you maybe did further research, like checking out Avadi videos, which I would like to touch on, but what were your kind of like initial impressions of kind of the story and... Master Willem, I've come to bid you farewell. Oh, I know, I know. You think now to betray me. No, but you will never listen. I tell you, I will not forget our adage. We are born of the blood, made men by the blood, undone by the blood. Our eyes are yet to open. Fear the old blood. I must take my leave. I'll get this out of the way. When I, when I played this this game, I don't think I ever for a, like a second. I mean, I have like the curiosity. This game is clearly just, you know, sinks curiosity into you as to what is going on because it's so weird. Such a weird game. But I never, I don't want to sit there and look at my items, descriptions. It's just not what I want to do. I want to get to a boss or an enemy that I, you know, is new and learn how to fight them. And that's pretty much, you know, the core of why I, I, you know, play these games. And so like videos, like, um, like you're talking from Vadi, I, I just don't seek it out. Uh, it, I don't have interest in it because the dopamine that I get from these games is all wrapped up in that gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I've really experienced story in a from software game was Sekiro. And mm-hmm. that's like the first time it was really fed to me, yeah. but that's only because it's, you know, it's, part of what you have to see uh but uh yeah really all about gameplay for me yeah i mean i'm one of those people i played through most of the from software games yet i would struggle to tell someone what they're about because <laughs> <laughs> again like the the story it, it's not a it's there's really no narrative to these games there's really no kind of story that's propelling you forward it's all in the item descriptions it's through npc dialogue and if you're not really kind of immersing in it you're going to miss a lot my first playthrough i'll be honest I hadn't a bloody clue what the story was about, but I got curious afterwards. So that's when I started watching Vadi. I started watching other channels and then suddenly things started to make sense. You know, that NPC had a purpose. You know, this boss has a backstory. You know, Father Gascoigne, who I struggled with, he apparently was integral to the healing church. He was out every night slaughtering beasts. And there's a very sad backstory to that with his family. So you do kind of find these things over time, but it's not given to you. Um, in terms of expository dialogue, it's just something you have to seek out and you really have to read into everything, which, you know, I'm kind of like a discard. Like for me, it's all about the gameplay and it's all about kind of chasing that next high, you know, beating that boss, getting over that difficult area. The story for me kind of became a secondary thing that I explored in subsequent playthroughs. I didn't really delve too much into it in the beginning. And even now, you know, I've seen the videos, I've read the wiki. I still probably couldn't make heads or tails of half the story. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, how about you, Disposed Hero? Yeah, the, the story presentation of these games is something I've always been kind of conflicted on because I really like that these games aren't bogged down with exposition and story and cutscenes and dialogue and mm-hmm. all of that. But at the same time, I still think it would be nice if just to know what's going on. You know, I was playing this game and doing research on the story as I was playing through it, and I kind of have it pieced together, but I still am unclear on a lot of things. 
I used to think that from software was just kind of lazy with their stories, but I mean, the, the stories there, I mean, they, they, they've crafted a pretty detailed story and um, characters and all this lore and everything to go along with it. But it's just, you really have to do your homework if you want to figure that stuff out. It's, it's, it's a rabbit hole for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, what I, I think is great about the games is that you can play through these games. You don't really need to know what happened, what's going on. You just, you keep moving through and uh, the, the strength of the game is entirely in its gameplay. For me, I'm, I'm a very, I love story in games. Like my, my, I would say when it comes to games, I, I prefer a great story over great gameplay, which is kind of backwards for a lot of gamers where I will give games that have weak gameplay passes if they have great stories. But these games do have great stories. It's just unless you're like almost a researcher, it's it's really hard to 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 pick up all the pieces, especially with from software games where I mean, if you want all the details, you need like all the items. You have to read all the item descriptions, and then you have to like connect the dots. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's and we, we keep mentioning Vadi Vidya, and that's why I'm so thankful for him because one, he 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 connects all the dots. Uh, he has an amazing presentation, like his voice, so soothing. Pure, oh my AS- pure ASMR, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> and. But but once you have somebody who can like really kind of lay it all out for you, uh, uh, the story is, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I don't know if, if I should do like a little spoiler thing, but uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess it doesn't really matter because you can play the game without any of the story. But I, I once all those pieces are there, uh, it, it, it's very, it's not necessarily like the story in the moment. It's all backstory. It's all what happened and now you're just there in the aftermath of all the events because like ultimately like every uh, everything kind of started in the chalice dungeons like lore wise the the it was like the uh i forget the organiz the the group not the was it the healing church were they like the first they were the church and then there was also the bergenworth scholars yes they, the uh, bergenworth scholars yeah, yeah yeah so it was like it started with them discovering the these ancient uh, uh, tombs, the, the the chalice dungeons, and they they discover the the old blood, which is essentially like blood of the gods, the 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 uh, uh, Lovecraftian creatures. And then once they started experimenting with that, like you know, it is this magical uh, you know cure all thing, and uh, you know people are coming from all across the world to to partake in this blood, and little did they know, like eventually it started turning people into beasts and. Then there was like fractures and in, 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 in the, the scholars and the broke off into the healing church. And then eventually came the hunters. And I mean, the story is fascinating for, for anybody who wants to really like delve into that, watch Vadi video, uh, his videos, like they're, they're just the fact that the, as you said, that it's like uh, ASMR, like gold, like he, he's just a pleasure to listen to. And like the stories are, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, did you guys have any other thoughts on any of any of that? I guess uh, you know the, the game itself, the gameplay, the the story, design. Any final thoughts in that, those areas? 
I think what I love about it, and this is very typical of From Software, it's the little details that you notice after you play the game a couple of times. Like, even in the scenery, you know, like you're going through Bergenworth and there's jars full of eyeballs, you know, there's all this <laughs> stuff in the background. Like, you know, for me, it's fascinating. And I love just, they put so much effort into the smaller details. And sometimes it could have a very big impact. You know, the name of an item could be related to a point in the story. Like, to get to the DLC, you need Eye of a Blood Drug Hunter. And that kind of goes back to the hunters getting drunk off the old blood and turning into beasts themselves. So there is definitely some connectivity there that you you miss on your first playthrough and then you kind of absorb over time. I just love the little details in the game. And that's why, you know, every time I play through it, I feel like I get something different out of it. I, I will say I really love like hearing that. And and even in um, like most recently, even in Sekiro and stuff like those little details that you think are just, you know, set dressing. Mm-hmm. And, and then like coming back and then finding out that they are actually something and that they're not just, you know, somebody threw it on there to make it look cool. Mm-hmm. I, I really do love that detail. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about From Software is that, you know, many games I've played over the past, what, 20, 30 years I've been gaming. Most of them are forgettable. You know, I've beaten them. I'm done with them. I'm never going back. I always remember my From Software experiences. And I think Bloodborne stands out the most because I played through it probably seven times. So, you know, it's one of those ones that just resonates at a higher level. So, yeah, I think they from software made a great game and we definitely need a sequel. Yes. Uh, any other thoughts, uh, Dispose Hero? Um, no, I think we I think you guys pretty much uh, touched on everything that I, I would touch on. All right. I, I think the only thing uh, is it, kind of one of the least uh, talked about aspects of any From Software games is the music. Uh, the games have pretty great soundtracks, but it's kind of hard to like the soundtracks are pretty much non-existent during the levels. It's like the boss fights and like some of the, the story scenes, they serve as more just kind of background, but um for some reason, I am slipping the name of the composer. Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Because uh, it's not the same... Uh, is it the same composer for Dark Souls? Uh, Chris uh, Velasco and Michael Wandmacher. Yeah. Um, and a couple Japanese composers as well. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the music? Was it stand out to you or is it more just kind of a background thing or a mood setter is this a game that you know somewhere down the road you're like you know I'm gonna listen to some Bloodborne soundtrack it was very orchestral and that's one thing I found over and above Dark Souls I found you know like especially if you go into a boss arena like the Bloodstarved Beast for example and you hear the strings just suddenly go (laughs) it, it it really pumps you up I find the music in Bloodborne, I think, is actually one of the best of any From Software game. Again, it just feels more epic, more orchestral, and the tunes stand out better in my mind because I heard them so often because I kept dying so much to many of these <laughs> bosses. But the music is a real grower, um, and I think it's definitely some of the best I've heard in a From Software game. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, uh, I think we've mostly got final thoughts. Do just want to check with you guys again. Any other 
things worth mentioning uh, regarding Bloodborne in any aspect before we move on? I think, I think we covered everything pretty well. I would just kind of nail down again to anybody who's thinking about jumping into a soul style souls born type game that this is, is definitely accessible. This is definitely an accessible game. Like uh, people were saying earlier, like Ben was saying earlier, you can always co-op, you know, you can jump in with somebody from cartridge club and have a good time and really get into this game and uh, figure it out. But it's definitely accessible. So uh, I think then let's look at some community impressions where if anybody plays along with prime, you can use the hashtag play along with prime or a lot of times uh, towards the end of the month, there will be generally a tweet uh, encouraging you to share your thoughts on the game of the month. And a lot of times we'll cover those on the podcast. So we got a few uh, community impressions that I would like to share. So first one we got here is from at its rocket sauce. He says the game makes me hate it, then love it. It's so deflating to you lose your blood echoes, but it's so rewarding to take down a boss that's been giving you trouble. I love the horror atmosphere that's in this game, but what's with the aliens? Overall, it's a great PS4 exclusive. <laughs> well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, again, that's kind of that's one of the the the. I don't want to say it's a weakness of the the lack of story, but the lack of explanation. Because yeah, it's the these like Cthulhu like creatures. It's like what's the deal with those? They're pretty wild. Yeah, it's never really explained explicitly. So you're kind of going through the game, and then suddenly you get these little bubblehead creatures coming at you, and you're like, "What the hell is that?" I was certainly like that on my first playthrough, but I guess once you absorb the story, you kind of realize there is a connection, you know, to the great ones as they're called. Yes. Uh, then we got a comment from Musty Hobbit. Uh, he says, going into this game, I was scared of even the concept of a Souls game. But once I made some progress and began to learn the flow of combat, suddenly the whole game opened up for me and I was astonished at how much I just wanted to be in it. It was all I was playing for almost the entire month. The setting is perfect, fierce, grotesque at times, and menacing. The mechanics, which I'm sure I still have much to learn, are extremely rewarding and incentivize incremental improvement. It's also not often that a game motivates me to begin a new game plus, and I am strongly leaning towards attempting to get the platinum trophy for this one. It was an absolute blast, and I am a bit less intimidated to attempt other games in the genre now. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's perfectly well said and i very much agree is especially with my second playthrough uh i was like you know what i'm i'm gonna go for that platinum and i did and i got the platinum as well it's a great is, feeling yes especially with from software games uh and then uh the last community impression we got was from x bandy x and he says i wish that it was available on the xbox so i could have played it Oh yeah, no. I I had, Xbox, I had an Xbox One first, so I definitely felt that pain as well. Yeah, uh, console exclusivity is always kind of a drag, but you know, it's the nature of the beast. Of course, I wish games were available and accessible for everybody, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess as we're kind of closing things out, I uh, would like you guys to give an opportunity to uh, let people know how they can uh, get a hold of you on social media or any other place that uh, you are available online. So let's go ahead and uh, do that. Uh, let's start with uh, 
Ben, you want to let people know how they can get hold of you? Sure. Yeah. The only way to currently find me online, there's other places, but uh, at BRoland1 on Twitter, that's B-R-O-W-L-A-N-D with the numeral one at the end. And yeah, if you enjoy memes and game talk and just randomness, hit me up. Perfect. Uh, Discard. Uh, so uh, you can find me at youtube.com slash Discard. I make videos on uh, displaying games and game collections amongst a few other things on there. And also been doing a little bit of streaming on twitch.tv slash disc under slash cart. Um, and those are pretty much the places you can track me down. I use Twitter a little bit, but not an effective place to, to get a hold of me. Excellent. And uh, disposed hero. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter at the disposed hero. I, Mainly just talk about uh, games I'm playing on there and a little bit of guitar stuff, just uh, touching on my hobbies. Perfect. Uh, and then if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I am available on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can look up The Game Grinder and you will surely find me there. So uh, before I kind of go through the closing uh little spiel here i just want to thank you guys very much for taking the time out of your schedule and joining me for uh this episode of cc prime i appreciate you being here thank Thank you for having me it was a great time thanks guys uh so that is going to do it for this episode of cartridge club prime for february 2020 Uh, the cc prime game for march is ori and the blind forest which is available for xbox one windows and the nintendo switch then there's also the Cartridge Club Portable that is playing LCD games for March Madness and LCB, LCD games being things like Tiger Handhelds and so on and so forth. Basically, if it's an LCD game, it's fair game for uh, Cartridge Club Portable. And then last but not least is the PC-focused Quick Save Club who will be covering the classic PC game Duke Nukem 3D. Then to those who are interested in supporting the club beyond a review on the podcast app of your choice, I'd like to mention that the club is entirely funded by pledges made from members of our community. We are extremely grateful to those supporters. And if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look into how you can do that at patreon.com slash cartridge club. And we look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you very much for listening and CC Unite. Farewell, good hunter. May you find your worth in the waking world. Oh, good hunter.